Hey y'all, this is Gary Meese with the case against. We're continuing to look at the case of the West Memphis Three. And I'm going to be getting into uh, one of the more interesting things that happened in the, the case, particularly once you get past the initial arrest stage and uh, the initial investigation which is the Bible confession of Jesse Miskelly Jr. Uh, very, very incriminating. And I don't think I'm going to be able to get the whole uh, Bible confession into today's episode. I've delayed uh, podcasting a little bit because my throat was a little bit irritated. There's a little bit of uh, pollen in the air. I have hay fever and I have a tendency to cough anyway, which could be from uh, some medication or something like that. Uh, it's not something that indicates a serious health problem. And I don't have corona. I haven't had coronavirus for the last two and a half years or however long I've been talking on various podcasts. Uh, but if I talk for a while, I do tend to, I do tend to get irritated and and if I start doing that I'm just going to stop that's going to be the stop in place uh, I apologize and uh, for it in advance if that happens and I will, I will say that uh, I don't think I'm you know I'm really that my talents don't really run toward podcasting as I've said before uh, it's not so much that I think I'm a great podcaster or something because I, I absolutely don't I just think that nobody else is doing what I'm doing and I'm doing it because I think it's worthwhile doing it's worthwhile me getting this information out uh, and when I get through with this case I'm gonna reassess where I am uh, I can see a, uh, an end in sight uh, particularly if I step up the schedule a little bit but even even if I don't uh, three or four months, I will be coming very close to the end of my books, and uh, I have other information I can call upon. I can do some supplemental type episodes to fill in some blanks and understand some of the things of how I came to my conclusions about the guilt of Jesse Miskelly Jr., Damien Eccles, and Jason Baldwin for the deaths of Michael Moore, Christopher Byers, and Stevie Branch on, uh, on May 5th, 1993 at a little wooded area known as Robin Hood Hills in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, I'm going to be reading today from my book, uh, Where the Monsters Go. And I have, I'm sorry, I got distracted here. I distracted myself, which isn't that hard to do. Uh, I'm gonna read from my book, Where the Monsters Go, which is available on Amazon. It's the second volume of a two volume set, the first volume being Blood on Black. Um, and I have a con revised, condensed, combined version called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. Uh, they're all on Amazon in really pretty affordable Kindle editions and print editions that are 
just because because of printing costs or I'm not making that much money off the print editions whoever's <laughs> somebody's making money off of it I guess maybe they're just expensive to produce but I'm not making a great deal of money off any of those print editions uh, but the price makes it look oh yeah he's he's right the price gets you know it's a little bit higher it's up in the teens you know uh, but I'm not getting but a fraction of that just just in case you were wondering why they're priced the way they are. I personally would much prefer having the prices down, you know, five or six dollars or something like that. But it, I would be losing money big time doing that if they would if they would even do it for me. And I don't think they would. Um, what happened here? Uh, well, there were a couple of deputies. Uh, Jesse Miskelly was convicted at trial. He was tried separately from Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin in February 1994. A couple of deputies were taken into jail on the day of sentencing, and Miss Kelly, who'd confessed in the past, confessed to these deputies. They reported it to their superiors. Uh, this provoked some interest from uh, all the parties involved because the trial of uh, Damien Eccles and Jason Ball was coming up and uh, while Jesse had missed a chance at a plea deal which he should have taken back in the summer you know plead out plead out Excuse me, not a good sign. Plead out and um, testify against your uh, the other two guys and get a much reduced sentence. Still would have been a long time, I'm sure. Whatever deal they worked, he still would have been doing some real time. Or uh, that's probably the best he could have done. And then. Uh, He chose not to do that and to go for the false confection, confession uh, idea back in September before this. And, uh, you know, they tried bringing that forward at trial and it just simply didn't, simply did not work. Um, they brought in an expert and Richard Offshe or however you name, O-F-S-H-E, however his name's pronounced. Anyway. Uh, he uh, he wasn't really allowed to get into why he thought that Jesse Miskelly had given a, a, a false false coerced confession. So before the jury, which which is the only place that really would have counted, so uh, that ploy generally failed. Uh, very inept defense all the way around, but. Uh, not so inept that it really made a great deal of difference because speaking of confessions, Jesse Miskelly had a confession. That alone was very incriminating and, and the, the fact that he couldn't come up with uh, a counter case, he couldn't come up with uh, a believable alibi even though he had lots and lots of witnesses, but they created more problems than they solved in the long run. They made him look more guilty rather than less. 
And I, again, you really have to put that on Dan Stidham, who didn't do a good job of marshalling his defense. Uh, he should have seen that coming and been much smarter about what he was doing with those witnesses. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that I wanted him to get Miss Skelly off. I don't think, even with a better alibi or two, I don't think that was going to happen. But at least he would have had a chance. As it was, it was a disaster. Uh, now, what's happening here is uh, with the Bible confession... I'm going to explain the circumstances as we go along, more of the circumstances as we go along, but it, it's, it's a very telling confession of a convicted killer of three small children to his defense attorney. And so we're hearing not a, a coerced confession, which didn't happen in this case, and not a false confession which didn't happen in this case, but uh, what seems to be a sincere confession of a client to his attorney. And we will start with that. Jesse, uh, the tap, chapter of the title and book is, The Truth Is, Me and Jason and Damien Done It. That just about sums it up, doesn't it? Uh, that's, that's the gist. That's the bottom line in all these confessions that Jesse Muskelly Jr. produced over a year, most of a year. It wasn't quite a year, but he, from June 3rd, uh, 1993 to February 1994, number of confessions and they all add up to I'm guilty they're guilty we did it Jesse Miskelly Jr. followed up his confession to the deputies with his Bible confession on February 8th he incorporated elements of the defense timeline from the trial describing how his so-called alibis left time to participate in the murders uh, Dan Stidham began by asking Miskelly about statements made while he was being transported from Pigott, Arkansas to Pine Bluff, Arkansas on February 4th, which he was being transported to the prison at Pine Bluff. Brent Davis, who was the prosecuting attorney, Stidham, Gary Gitchell, who was the uh, uh, chief inspector for West Memphis, Arkansas, and John Fogelman, who's an assistant prosecutor, traveled to the Department of Correction on May, um, where did I come up with May? February 8th, the Tuesday after Miss Skelly had been convicted. Uh, they had received information about Miss Skelly's latest confession, quote, even indicating to the officers that he was not shocked by what the jury did because he basically deserved the punishment he received. He talked constantly about his involvement in the case, Brent Davis told Judge David Burnett on February 22nd. 
Uh, now, Stidham, who had begun to work closely with the Eccles defense team and the HBO film crew there getting the raw footage for the Paradise Lost movies, uh, Miskelly's defense attorney was upset that Miskelly was continuing to confess. Uh, no law enforcement officials were in the room for the Bible confession. It was a private meeting between Miskelly and his attorney. Brent Davis, a prosecutor, said Stidham talked to his client, quote, approximately 10 or 15 minutes, at which point he came out of the room, grabbed a Bible, went back in, and approximately 30 to 45 minutes later, Mr. Stidham exited. He was very upset, unnerved, just kept mumbling things. I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. I don't know what to do. Brent Davis goes on to describe, Mr. Stidham went back into the room, at which time he did not allow us, nor did we request or insist on having contact with his client. He went back inside and talked for another hour and came back and, to paraphrase, indicated that his client's story matched with the facts much better. And there were a few things we need to do to be able to corroborate his statement. Stidham began, that's the end of what Brent Davis had said, uh, Stidham began taping the confession at 3.20 p.m. at the Pine Bluff Diagnostic Unit. After he'd returned with the Bible, Stidham told Miss Kelly, Okay, Jesse, a few minutes ago I asked you about making some statements to the officers when they transported you from Piggott to Pine Bluff, you told me that you told them some stuff. Is that correct? Miss Kelly says, yes, sir. Stidham, and at first you told me that you were just making it up, that you were lying to them, and then you placed your hand on the Bible and told them you were there when these boys were got killed. Miss Kelly, yes, sir. Stidham, uh, what's the truth, Jesse? I want to know the truth. Miss Kelly answers, the truth is me and Jason and Damien done it. Stidham, you were there when the boys were killed? Yes, sir. Stidham, now, what's going to be very important is for you to tell me why it was that you had been maintaining that you weren't there all this time. Miss Kelly says, I was scared. What were you scared of? Miss Kelly, I always lied and had never put my hand on the Bible and swore. Nobody didn't tell me to do that. If they would have told me that at first, I would have done it. Nobody told me to put my hand on the Bible. Stidham, and I think we can get a feel for for all the arguments about, there are arguments back and forth about Miss Kelly's IQ and how it affected his his hand his own handling of his own case and how he handled uh, being questioned by police and so forth. But we, you can get a certain sense of he has a somewhat childish mentality, and I'm not certainly not denigrating religious faith by saying this. That's not my point. It's not what I'm not a point I'm trying to make, and I hope it's not taken that way. But he, Miss Kelly, who really gives no indication of having any particular religious in, uh, uh, leanings in any way, 
you don't get the impression the family was a church-going family or anything else, but he has, because where he lives, it's essentially very, it's Christian, much of it nominally Christian, but Christian. Uh, certainly not radically secular. Uh, his idea of, you know, what would require him telling the truth is placing his hand on the Bible. Stidham, okay, so basically you've been lying to me and Mr. Crow for the past, uh, Greg Crow's another defense attorney, so for the past seven or so months about not being there when in fact you were there. Miss Skelly, yes sir, Stidham, okay Jesse, let's start from the beginning. Understand that when Stidham talks about another seven or eight months, he didn't start talking about not being there until August or September. Back in uh, June and July, apparently, when he was talking to Stidham, uh, there's transcripts, uh, there's some information available, not total transcripts, but information available from uh, Stidham's own materials you can you can find it on the Callahan site that indicate that uh, Miss Kelly was talking to his attorney, and they weren't talking about it as if Miss Kelly had given a false confession or even that he was innocent. They were just simply trying to figure out well with with what we've got here uh, a confession. What are we going to do about this? because you've implicated yourself in a murder. How are we going to get out of this, is essentially. And they didn't come up with the false confession tactic until after, until after several months. Okay, Jesse, let's start from the beginning. I understand that you'd received a phone call from Jason sometime before the murders. Remember when that was? Miss Skelly, on a Monday. Stidham, on the Monday before the Wednesday. Uh-huh. And the Wednesday was the day the boys went missing, which is May 5th, 1993. Stidham, when did he call you? What time? Miss Skelly said around 6 p.m. Quote, he asked me to, uh, did I want to go to West Memphis with them? find uh, some uh, find some girls which that seems pretty uh, benign and normal healthy for some teenage boys to be interested in finding some girls depending on what their plans were then but on the face of it, it sounds like a very normal plan for some teenage boys uh, Stidham, any mention of hurting some boys or killing some boys at that time? Miss Kelly answers, no, sir. Stidham, and what happened on Wednesday, May 5th? <coughs> Did you spend the night with Josh Darby on May the 4th? That Tuesday night? Miss Kelly, yes, sir. He picked us up in Net... Nettles Trailer Park in West Memphis at Josh's mama's house. And we left about 9 that morning and went to West Memphis Roofing. And uh, we got off about 12, me and Josh did. And after I got me something to eat, I went to Stephanie's, which is Stephanie Dollar, his friend. 
And then uh, Vicky brought us some, and Vicky would be Vicky Hutchison. Stidham. Wait a minute. Let's stop. I don't know why he stopped him. Let him talk. See what he says. Then go back and get it all corrected. It's the same problem. That, you know, he he's really blabbing here, and and Stidham is slowing him down. He should just let him talk until he went off on some tangent someplace. Uh, but anyway, uh, wait a minute. Let's stop. You say Josh and Ricky D's dropped you off at your house about what time? Lunchtime? Miss Kelly answers. It was after 12. I'd say about 1230, which is what Ricky D said. Then uh, I went in the house and got me something to eat and then went to Stephanie's. Stephanie Dollars. I babysitted Cody while Stephanie had to go to the school about Courtney. I stayed there for a while. And he describes his girlfriend Susie showing up after she got out of school. We sit there and talk, watch TV, and babysitted Cody. Um, about uh, 5.30, Cody got slapped by Connie. <laughs> this famous incident where little Cody got slapped by this lady named Connie Molden, who apparently had a habit of roughing up the kids in the neighborhood since she'd roughed up... Uh, Vicki Hutchison's little boy Aaron just the day before, apparently. Uh, but anyway, this, 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 this slapping incident was the, prompted some police calls, which was part of Miss Kelly's attempted alibi. Um, anyway, about uh, 5.30 p.m., Co according to Miss Kelly, Cody got slapped by Connie, and then uh, I went down toward Johnny's, and I called some police officers. He's claiming he called the police officers. I don't think there's any record of that. I, you know, I, I don't think there's a record of Biskelly being the one who placed that call. I could be wrong, and I'll go, you know, I'll go check on it. For some reason, it's it's never occurred to me, and I'm not sure it's occurred to anybody else. But you know, if he's claiming he called the police officers. And they're keeping track. They're keeping that information. They were keeping that information. It should be on file someplace. It should have been on file someplace and should be readily available. I don't think that information is there. Which again is one reason I I may have looked into this at one point, simply forgotten about it, which does happen. And you know, uh, and then when I come back to it, I go. Eh, there's a problem here. Well, I'm not sure that, like many things, I'm not sure that the records were ever available, and I suspect they're almost certainly not available now, but it's it's worth checking out. Uh, Stidham asked concerning going to Johnny's. Johnny Hamilton? And Miss Kelly answers, Johnny Deadman. There are two Johnnies in this case that are friends with Miss Kelly. Uh, Stidham, Johnny Deadman. Did you talk to a police officer that day? And Miss Kelly says, I told him that uh, Stephanie and them was down the street. They wasn't at home. He drived up in the driveway, but he didn't get out. Stidham, was it Officer Dollahide who testified the other day? Miss Kelly says, yes, sir, it was. I told him that they was down the street. Um, I'll say it was a little bit after five. 
And then I sat there and now uh, James Dalhite first testified he was dispatched to the Deadman residence after a call at 6.17, arriving set 10 minutes later, and identified the complainants as Bobby and Stephanie Dollar, not Miss Kelly. Okay. Then, <laughs> well, that, that answers that question. Did Miss Kelly call? According to Officer Dollahide, it was Bobby and Stephanie Dollar, which makes a lot more sense than Jesse Miskelly Jr., Stephanie Dollar and Susie Brewer both testified that Dollar got home, Stephanie Dollar got home around four, and that they both had gone to Johnny Deadman's house, which is why the police officer would have gone to the Deadman house, um, or trailer, whatever it was. Steadman, first of all, did you see Lewis Hoggard that day? And I don't know why Stidham goes off on this tangent about uh, Lewis Hoggard, but he does, and uh, Hoggard was an acquaintance of Miss Skelly's. Uh, Miss Skelly says, yes, he was mowing his yard, and he asked me what happened, and I told him that Cody got slapped by Connie. Stidham, then what happened? Where did you go then? Then I went down by toward Johnny Deadman's, and then when I, that's when I seen uh, Stephanie and Bobby Dollar and Cody, Justin, Courtney, and Ashley, and Charles Ashley. These are all friends of his. And, you know, he was about to go into, when, uh, didn't have interrupted him, he was about to go into Vicki Hutchison buying him some liquor. And we're going to get back into this, but uh, you can see that he has a very consistent sort of story in his mind about where he's going with this. And we'll see even more consistency. He's going to get back to Vicki Hutchison buying him something in a bit. And meanwhile, Stidham keeps throwing him off track with things like asking about Lewis Hoggard when he's really talking about uh, what he did after five and after the phone call to the so-called phone call to the police. Uh, anyway, he talks about talking to Lewis Hoggard. He says, Stidham asked, then what happened? Where did you go then? Uh, he says, then I went down by towards Johnny Deadman's, and then that's when I seen Stephanie and Bobby Dollar and Cody, Justin, Courtney, and Ashley and Charles Ashley. Then, then Miss Skelly, in a somewhat confused exchange, exchange with Stidham, said Johnny Hamilton sent him to Johnny Deadman's house, quote, to get some man to go Lakeshore. Now, Miss Skelly said he didn't know the man. Quote, he was kind of big, he had a beard and mustache, and he had a glass eye. Daddy knows him, I don't. And he, he that might have been a really good alibi witness if he just brought him forward. We don't even know his name. And uh, it, we could have determined that. Could have been determined. Uh, Miskelly didn't know it, but it could be determined. Could have been determined at the time. Uh, still could, actually. I, you know, go talk to 
Miskelly's dad. Miskelly's dad knew the guy. Not that it's going to do Miskelly a lot of good, but <coughs> you could ask this guy. Uh, somebody like Bob Ruff could go ask this guy, you know, 27 years later, uh, if he was around Miskelly that evening and at least see what he had to say. That and the, his army, they could have asked, they could have done that. Uh, Miskelly says, that's when uh, I stayed down there with the police, you know, I took off and told Johnny, said he'd be on his way. Then, and he said it was almost six o'clock then, but this time. I went down, down towards my house. I was standing on the corner talking with Dennis, Dennis Carter by my house. Dennis asked me, um, you know, did I know anybody to get us something to drink? Now we're going to get back into what he was going to tell Stidham earlier. I told him Vicky will. So we gave Vicky some money and I went down her house and started talking just a little bit and I asked her, would she go to the store and buy me some liquor? She said, yes. She said, hand me the money. She said, I'll go in a minute. I said, okay. I left her house and me and Dennis went to my house and you know, watched as she went around the corner and we sat there on the corner, sat there and talked about, you know, drinking and stuff. She carried it to her house, and me and Dennis went down there and got it. Now, this all this story about drinking with Dennis Carter strikes me as infinitely more true than all the information that the various alibi witnesses were putting forward, particularly after, say, 5 o'clock or so. I think Stephanie Dollar and Susie Brewer probably gave a pretty good accounting of Miskelly's actual actions, even though there was some inconsistencies there that you would expect. But up till 5 o'clock or so, he was hanging around with Susie Brewer. He was going over various Johnny's houses and had been babysitting, etc., etc. It's after 5, 5 or so that things get hinky in reconciling all the different alibis that were thrown up at trial. And Miss Kelly's little story here about Dennis Carter and him getting Vicki Hutchison to buy him some liquor is not a story that was told at trial, but it makes more sense than any of those stories. She bought the boys a fifth a piece of Evan Williams whiskey, of uh, Evan Williams whiskey. I gave her a 20 and Dennis gave her a 10. Uh, Stidham asked if that was wine and Miss Kelly explained that Evan Williams was whiskey. The Bible confession thus far contained numerous details not in earlier confessions that contradicted little in those confessions. That's what I say there at that up to that point up to that point, the whiskey buying, the whiskey buying, hanging out with Dennis Carter and buying the whiskey. Up to that point, that's correct. At the point where he's buying whiskey with Dennis Carter, it's a, it's totally at odds with the other other alibi stories, who are all generally are 
largely at odds with each other, and sometimes those stories are at odds with themselves. While incorporating testimony from the trial, Miskelly's version of events gave a number of independent details. He also contradicted testimony in his assertion that he had seen a police officer investigating the slapping incident, but he made no claim that the encounter offered an alibi. He could not have been standing around drinking whiskey with Dennis Carter a little after six and making a phone call to police at roughly the same time, but that is exactly what he was claiming. Uh, despite having his hand on the Bible, Miskelly was still lying one way or the other based on police as, based on police testimony. He lied about the encounter with the police. Uh, James Dollarhite and Jason Oliver, and I can't think of the other officer's name, um, but uh, they testified at trial that Miss Skelly was not at the scene of these police calls. And there's no reason to think that he was unless you really want to believe his alibi. Miss Skelly said, I went up under the underpass, then I saw, and the underpass is... Uh, there's an underpass that connects a service road to a road that goes around. Uh, it's really not, I guess it, it's not really a service road, but a road that goes by Lakeshore uh, estates where uh, Jason Baldwin and Dominique Tier lived and where Damien really lived as much as he did at, at his trailer home in West Memphis. Uh, it goes under the overpass and it swings around. It connects with the service road, which that goes, uh, you go under the overpass and go south. And basically there's some trailers on, on your, uh, your right there. Several, there's a couple of trailer parks, but the large one is Lakeshore Estates, which is where Jason lived. And it goes around and then it basically, you go, it goes off to a field someplace. Uh, that's all that's over there. It's just trailer homes mostly. At least it was, it was then, and it was last time I was there, which has been four or five years ago, perhaps. Maybe, maybe I think I went through there three years ago. Uh, things can change, but I doubt it very seriously. I doubt it's different now. You come around, um, and they're going under north south interstate. 55, right before it joins with uh, east-west I-40 in West Memphis. Um, going under the overpass, you go north and you go to Highland. You get to Highland right before you get into Marion city limits proper. It's really, the city limits are really right at that Highland Park line in other words, you can stand in a nice, clean schoolyard in Marion and look over and just a very short distance away, uh, trash-strewn, nasty trailer park that looks, you know, that makes some of the ghettos in, uh, in India look pretty clean by comparison, well-kept up by comparison. Um uh, and that's where Jesse Miskelly lives. So he walked from that. He walked 
that trailer park. It goes out under the over under under the underpass. Um, it goes over to from Highland and goes over to Lakeshore Estates. He says, I went up under the underpass, then I saw Damien and Jason. They was at Lakeshore in the park by Quentin's house, Quentin Johnson. It was like a field between houses and stuff. Stidham asked, did they know you were coming? Yeah, because that's when Jason called me uh, that Monday. He said that we was going to Lakeshore, that we was going to go to Lakeshore and find some girls. He called me Monday and asked me to come to Lakeshore. We was going to go to West Memphis. We was going to go find some girls in West Memphis. Stidham asked, Okay, did y'all talk about hurting boys or doing anything to boys? Or Miss Kelly says, No, sir. So Stidham says, well, Up until this time, you had ever had you ever been to a devil worship meeting? Now, this is a crucial point here. He seems to be trying to tell the truth, even though I think he's, I think, like I said, he's lying at some point about the police visit. He's confabulating some things, some things, but he's telling a story here that no one else tells except Miss Skelly, but it's one that makes perfect sense in terms of the crime. And it gets got the, the time frame right. It'd be a little bit after six. He goes over to, um, he's drinking and he goes down to uh, Lakeshore and meets up with Jason and Damien. And then they go over to Robin Hood Hills. Uh, Miss, this is interesting because Stidham asked, up until this time, had you ever been to a devil worship meeting? Now, if Miss Kelly had just made this up or if the officers had encouraged him to do that, so they could get the satanic panic going in the in the in the uh, city which there was no satanic panic up till that point uh, the terms inappro- inappropriately used in this case anyway but uh, because the satanic panic so-called satanic panic resulted from uh, the confession of someone who said he was practicing Satanism and resulted in the arrest of someone else who said he was a practicing witch, uh, which would generally be understood by a lot of people as maybe not Satanism, but certainly uh, not uh, had the potential for being walk on the darker side of uh, the spiritual life Um, I'm not saying it's I'm not saying that it is Uh, I'm not saying that Wicca as such is uh, not uh, something that's just a relatively benign phenomenon I, I I have some reservations about that but uh, I would certainly wouldn't call the average Wiccan Satanist. Uh, I think that's uh, very foolish. It's kind of a hierarchy collapse. You're not really understanding what you're talking about unless you consider any form of uh, religious practice other than, say, Christian, strict Christianity to be 
uh, a form of Satanism, even if it's not labeled as such. And I understand quite a few people, I probably have relatives who believe that, and I have no argument with them. That's They're, they're entitled to their beliefs. Um, but uh, I understand that generally speaking, most people would not say, oh, if you're practicing... If you're practicing, if you're playing with tarot tarot cards, for instance, you're probably that's you know that's not Satanism. Most people would say that, or an Ouija board, but there's some who would. So let's let's give it that. Anyway, Stidham asked, up until this time, had you ever been to a devil worship meeting? Miss Kelly says yes, out at Lakeshore, back uh back there in the very back. So Stidham says, what did y'all do at this meeting? Miss Kelly, uh, well, people bring candles and make a, make a circle and light them, and then Damien would start talking, and we listened to him while he talked. He started, you know, talking to the devil, you know, different kind of ways, talk to the devil. Stidham, the, do they ever talk about hurting people or killing people or doing things to... Excuse me, I'm getting a little bit of a distraction here. Uh, Miss Kelly, uh, uh-uh. Damien had a briefcase, and I saw when he opened it, I saw a picture. It was a Polaroid picture that uh, had three boys that was on a bicycle by some white houses. Now this detail about the photo had popped up. Oh, was popped up and it's going to continue to pop up over and over in the confessions. Uh, but such a photo was never discovered. However, it raises the question: Why, if if he just made it up, at some point it almost seems like he would drop it. It doesn't really do that much for the case either. One way, if you know, if you had. A confirmed picture of Damien Eccles had, it was confirmed he had a photo of these boys in front of their houses before he killed them. Then it would show some some um, premeditation and some planning and that this wasn't, this killing wasn't just what it often appears to be. And I think to some extent was, was three drunken teenagers who decided they were going to bully around some younger kids and things got out of hand. That's certainly the impression you get from at least most of what Miss Kelly says. That is the impression you get. And I'm not sure it's a, a mischaracterization, at least as far as Miss Kelly is concerned. Stidham, uh, was it a picture of those that got killed? Miss Skelly says, yes, sir. After, after I seen them that day, then I memorized who they were. Stidham, who was in this cult meeting? I want to know everybody. Uh, me, Jason, Damien, Dominie. I don't know. There's another guy. It was a guy by Lakeshore. He ain't no kid. He's a guy. He's tall, got black hair. He looks just like Damien. Stidham says, do you know where he lives? Skelly says, I don't know, but he did live out at Lakeshore, almost on, almost on the last street. He didn't have no nickname. Now, Skelly seemed to be describing another version of 
this mysterious figure called named Lucifer, various permutations of Lucifer, an older man who supposedly ruled the Clickshore cult. And I have to say, you know, if this had only appeared in one story, then you would go, well, okay, somebody's making something up. It appears in multiple stories. So either Lucifer had some sort of reality or Lucifer was uh, an urban legend that had spread all through these trailer parks and was generally it was generally understood and known but you know it seems that the police never were able to identify this guy some of the physical characteristics from uh, the descriptions vary greatly but he's always described as older um, and there seemed to be some sort of special deference Damien had some sort of special deference to this older guy. Now, we could speculate further about who he might be. I have some possibilities. Some people who look something like a Damien connected to the case, but I'm not going to go there with that. I try to keep rank, just rank speculation to a minimum. Sometimes, sometimes I can't resist, and sometimes I think it's helpful. But in this this particular instance, I don't know who Lucifer was. I don't even know if he actually existed, but he sh- it sure seems that way. Stidham, did you guys wear black coats with hoods on them or anything like that? And okay, here's a good here's a good example of suggestibility and leading because this this is a leading sort of question and if miss kelly was this little six-year-old he doesn't give the impression of being a six-year-old child reciting events from a many months before does he it's a pretty consistent story and it sounds like a story that almost so far that almost any uh, normal are somewhat normal seven seventeen he's eighteen at the, by this time eighteen year old could tell about the events from months before Stidham asked again Stidham asked did you guys wear black coats with hoods on them or anything like that Miss Kelly says no I ain't got a black I ain't got no black jacket with hood <laughs> See, he didn't. He didn't say, "Oh yeah, I was wearing a black." J- I, yeah, we had robes. You know, we took the kids in the basement. We had tunnels back there. <laughs> there's none of. Th- there's none of that. It, it makes it much more credible that he resists these suggestions and he resists these leading questions. And he did it with police too, but supporters do not want to look at that. Stedham. Did this other guy that was tall and black-headed have long black hair? Miss Skelly says, it was pretty long. Stidham, is your hand still on that Bible, Jesse? Yes, sir, it is. Stidham, you're telling me the truth? Yes, sir, I am. Stidham, what else would happen at these meetings? Uh, we drank. Stidham, listen to music. 
Miss Kelly says, yes, and drank. So sometimes he answered yes to the leading questions. Stidham, what about the dog legs and stuff? Miss Kelly says, no. And Miss Kelly had described eating, cooking and eating dog legs uh, to the police. And here he's changing his story as he's been tending to do that. Stidham says, why did you tell the police that? Miss Kelly says, I just made that up. And see, there you have an example here of Miss Kelly admitting to his defense attorney that he just made some things up um, in his initial confession. And for some reason, he took it upon himself to make things up about the dog legs. Now, again, that sort of rumor was also floating... There were stories and rumors floating around the trailer parks about cooking and eating dogs. Uh, we know this because in, we get some information about that from other sources. So Miskelly's not just totally making this up. This is stuff he's heard. He's heard hints of. But he's also saying he personally didn't experience Excuse me. How many cult meetings have you been to? About three or four. And they were all down in Lakeshore? Yes, sir. Everyone I went was. Stidham. What about Vicki Hutchison saying she's seen you in a meeting at Turl Twist? And that was what she testified to at trial, that she had gone with Damien and Jesse to a cult-type meeting in a field in the north part of Crittenden County, up toward Cross County, uh, in an area called uh, close to Turrell, which is a little town there. There's another small, it's really kind of just a wide spot on the road, if you can find it, called Twist. Um, she described that meeting in quite a bit of detail. Miskelly's saying he, he's about to say he, he, this didn't, he wasn't involved in that. Uh, Miskelly says, I had never been to Turrell. My hand is still on the Bible. I had never been to Turrell. And Damien ain't got no, Damien don't have no red car. He don't even own a car. He don't even drive. He don't even drive. Now, I want to point out this contradicted Miss Kelly's statement on June 3rd that Damien had access to a red car that was owned by Jack Eccles, his stepfather, or ex-stepfather, because his mother and father, stepfather were divorced by the time this case went to trial and by the time the killings occurred. Stidham did... Uh, Damien and Jason have any beer when you got there that day out at Lakeshore at about 6.30? Again, <laughs> with the leading questions. Uh, Miss Kelly answers, yeah, I think it was a 12-pack. It was in a sack. They kept it in a sack. It was cheap beer. It was just a regular brown paper bag. Stidham, tell me about this briefcase. Were you at a meeting when they had a briefcase? Jesse says, that 
that older guy, he brought it. He brought the briefcase. Stidham. It wasn't Damien's briefcase? Stidham, uh, Jesse says. No, it was the older guy. It was that guy that looked just like Damien. He brought it, and he had a gun. It had a picture of them three boys that got that got killed. They was on the bikes by some white houses, and in the background, you could see some trees. Stidham says, ask, how can he look like Damien? Damien doesn't have a mustache and, and a beard. And Miss Kelly says, when he shaves it, he looks like Damien. Stidham, did anyone else go to these meetings besides this older guy, uh, Damien and Jason and Domini, any other girls? Miss Kelly says, um, I don't think there was no other girls. There's only the people I seen at the meeting with me. Stidham, what about this shit about cooking a dog in a wash tub that you told the officers a couple of days ago? Miss Kelly says, I made that up. Stidham, and now you're not making anything up you're telling me about, are you? No, sir, my hand is still on the Bible. Stidham, do you know what devil worshiping is, Jesse? Jesse says, it's Satan. Stidham, do you believe in this stuff or were you just out there? I was just out there, just just drinking and having fun. Stidham, was this older guy the leader of this thing? Miss Skelly, uh-huh. He told Damien what to do. He always told Damien what to do. He tells Damien, you know, go kill a dog or hurt a kid or something and he'd do it. Stidham, did he tell Damien to go hurt these kids? When I was there, he didn't. He might have told him, you know, after, but he didn't tell him when I was there. Stidham, he wasn't there that day the boys got murdered, was he? Miss Kelly, no, he wasn't there with us, but in that briefcase, it was them three boys. And, you know, if that briefcase actually existed with the photo and Lucifer had it, and if they were never able to find Lucifer, then that would explain why we were never we never saw this briefcase and we never saw this photo. Stidham, do you think that he told Damien to do this? Miss Kelly, I think he did because I didn't know until after I seen a picture in the briefcase, then after the murders happened, then then I remembered who they were. I seen them at the court meeting. I'm not sure what that means. Maybe it's obvious to you. I've seen them at the court meeting. Uh, maybe when he was in the, uh, on trial, he remembered the photos. I, I, but he indicated he knew that these that before this. So I don't understand that. Stidham, what did this older guy's name? Did he drive a car? Uh... He always walked, you know, out there to Lakeshore where we was at. He always walked. Murphy, no, I can't remember. I can't think of his name. Stidham, Murray? It started with an M. Stidham, Murray Ferris? And now Stidham's naming a teenage white witch. Uh, involved with the covenant of the white light that was who was well acquainted with Damien Eccles. He went to uh, West Memphis High School. Uh, his friend Chris Luttrell was also involved in this little witch cult. 
there were several other people who were named, um, and they were talked to about their about the case. And they both Chris Luttrell and Murray Ferris both had alibis. They were at a church youth meeting, enjoying pizza that evening. As weird as that sounds, um, I said, "Uh," and I. Muskelly's response was the same. Uh, Stidham, um, Murray Ferris doesn't have white, it doesn't have black hair. Muskelly's answers, no, it started with an M. I don't know, I don't know his name. It started with an M. Uh, Stidham, do you know who Murray Ferris is? Muskelly, uh-uh, I had never saw, I had never heard that name. And there's no reason to think he would know Murray Ferris. Uh, Stidham says, how old was he? He's, I'd say, I'm going to say he was in his mid-twenties or somewhere closer to his thirties. Stidham, what did he, what did he do at the meetings? Was he in charge? Miss Kelly says, yes, uh-huh, because he had a briefcase and had a, it was in a white bag, like in a sandwich bag. He had some white stuff. I guess he's referring to some sort of drugs. I'm thinking elsewhere he mentions coke, having cocaine and a little a little gun inside this briefcase along with the photo. Uh, Stidham, did the older guy ever tell Damien and Jason to do something stupid? Did they do that? You said kill a dog? He always told Damien. He knew he must have knew Damien for a long time because he didn't ever tell none of us to do that stuff. Stidham, did you ever see him kill a dog? No. Stidham, okay. And you know what? I'm going to stop there. We've gone over Lucifer quite a bit. I think we're about to move on to the actual trip to the woods, and then we're going to get into the killing. This is a logical stopping place. So, I hope everybody's enjoying themselves, enjoying their time at home. I'm getting some projects done. One of the projects I hope to wrap up in the next coming months will be this particular podcast. Anyway, wishing you well. I'll talk to you again soon.